Welcome to the Specify Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Tats Nakagawa of Castagra Products. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and construction industry. Today's guest is Ted Miller III. He's the CEO of TM3. So, Ted, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm glad to be here, mate. Yeah, so I'm happy I came across your profile. I know you work with uh, Chet Holmes in the past. Oh, yeah, yeah. Have you read this one? I have uh, probably one of the most underrated books I know. I mean, it's fantastic. I, I don't know. I always hear the fans. They're always telling me how your late partner just crushed it and changed their world and their business. And, you know, yeah, he and I, he was my buddy, like my ride or die buddy, you know, kind of thing. You know, just 10 years, well, 14. I was first his client. I paid oh. 40 grand of money. I could not afford to get help, but I didn't hire him. I hired a guy named Jay Abraham. And this guy was like super strategy, but I wasn't learning how to implement any of what Jay was saying. He was saying the same things like 15 different ways a Sunday. I'm like, Hey man, I'm just, you know, knucklehead has made his way, you know, out of the uh, mud, the concrete mud from a construction background. So I'm like, you know, you're going to have to explain something to me in English. So he uh, turned me on the chat ohms and the fast growth strategies, they all work brilliantly. Two years, 100% rate of growth at learn.com, the online education platform, leveraging what I learned. You know, Jay Abraham's strategies implemented in Chet's style. And then little did I know I'd partner with that guy until his passing. So uh, yeah, we served a lot of people, 250,000 clients. That's $100 million in business coaching consulting over the years before he passed. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've read Chet's stuff. I highly recommend it. But if for people that haven't read it yet and that are going to read it. What are the the thumbnails? What what are the things that come up? Well, I mean, it's the good news about this book is that it's broken down in a modular level, meaning a chapter. If So if you got a challenge on how to recruit sales talent, go to that chapter. Hey, I need to learn how to become a strategist in the marketplace. We seem to be in another recession. You know, I mean, just look at it. There's more money. There's less money in banks and more money owed on credit cards than any recorded time in the U.S. history for me here in the United States. So it's like, yeah, it's pretty bad data. As we talked offline, there's a different needs of skills at different stages. And it's not just the stage of your business growth. It's also the economic cycle that you're in. So whatever economic cycle you find yourself in might determine what chapter you want to jump to, because sometimes you want to become a strategist because you need to innovate or you're going to die. Real estate's a great example of that. Everyone's trying to play the old game of commissions and they're trying to figure out, you know, how they can compete. That comes up a lot, you know? And then I have other clients that were ahead of that. Or, or I, I got a friend, never a client. They did 100% commission. They just shook the whole industry up and they're always at the top in the United States as fastest growing companies because they don't even play with that game anymore. They're like, we should be good enough. You pay us to be in our environment. So they charge agents to uh, work underneath their brand as a membership fee, but they take zero commissions. Isn't that great? Wow. So many industries. Uh, construction's an old dog. Like it, it carries a burden of bad habits around at times. So they'll come in and want to just grab a whole chapter of how to target the fewer, better buyers. And mm -hmm. we can transform an entire 
like a roofing company. One of the early days, Chet and I worked with uh, Simon Roofing. Good old Jim. He's he, he, It's now passed on to another, uh, I think his cousin. I think he said a nephew of his maybe runs it or a cousin now, but he was only at like $50 million and boom, they're at $111 million last time we spoke to him, more than doubled, all by targeting these better buyers. And mm-hmm. so just pull up the chapter you need when you need it kind of thing. It's yeah. a book you probably won't put down. You'll start at the beginning, go to the end, but- at any given time, pull that out. It'll serve you. It's it's a obviously you could tell I'm the biggest fan of the book. I buy that book for all of my clients to this day. If they said they haven't read it, that's the first thing I asked you. Did you read it? If not, I was going to mail it to you, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So much to unpack there, but let's just focus on you. You're talking about different business cycles, recessions, and things like that. What are the things that you are telling some of your clients now? Well. You'd have to be dead, dumb, deaf, blind, not to be able to recognize there, there's a change in an economic season. The seasons are, um, so when we partnered with Tony Robbins, we did it like this. Uh, we'd have a couple thousand people come to our events and we'd say, hey, um, you, you know what the summer season looks like, right? It's hot, but you've got a lot of growth during that time. And you keep your head down and you keep doing the work. It may be a grind, but you're getting tons of gains. And then in the autumn, that's where you reap your harvest. That's where you're just taking it in. You're taking it in and taking it in. Times are really good because, you know, hey, it's uh, very profitable to just reap those benefits. But when winter hits, is it the best time for you to plant a new seed? Like, you know, I was telling you, I planted my garden you know, but it's, it snowed this morning, <laughs> you know, it was like a layer of snow and all my little celery sticks are like, Whirl. you know, does it make sense to go plant a seed in the middle of winter? You know, so self-awareness to know what your nation's cycle is economically, and then to know what your industry cycle is. So, you know, how do I respond? And I think people have been lazy living, you know, because fall, autumn, it makes for really good times for people. Tats, I mean, think of it. If you're just reaping the benefits, you're, you're living high off the hog, you know what I mean? Who wants to dive in head first into winter? Nobody. But how long are you going to deny it? You know, you're asking what I'm sending out to my clients. You know, the data, it's it's pretty profound. I mean, it's a, you know, a sad side of what's going on out there. I've got some data that says savings accounts are at 3.5%. That's lowest in 17 years. People owe more on credit cards than ever before, $940 billion, Tats. And all the unemployment data seems to be getting manipulated just for, you know, political purposes. So, you know, become self-aware, get honest. And I think when the banks started foreclosing in Silicon Valley, I think that woke some people up. People like, are we going into a recession or not? You know, and they're like, okay, I've seen this habit before. I know what we're about to go through. And so for me personally, I went through... The dot-com going dot-bust, 2008, we had a COVID recession, and then now. So it's just like, use self-awareness, pay attention, good advice is contextual. What's my next best strategy and tactic to best grow my company right now based on these conditions? Self-awareness, as trite as that sounds, Tats. Yeah. So, I mean, how much of it is looking at costs? How much of it is optimization? You said planting seeds. Are you talking about holding back on new initiatives, focusing on fundamentals? What are you talking about? What a great freaking question. Like, that's a really good question. And Harvard Business Review had done research on all the recessions before and answered that question. 
And it's so great that you say that because everyone, at most everyone guessed it wrong. 91% guessed it wrong. Like everyone's like, well, I, it's, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna lay everyone off. That's it. We got to cut. We got to cut like 20, 30%, just, you know, cut the workforce the best we can. And they raced to the bottom. And, and I get why they are doing that. But if that's all they did, they didn't succeed. Again, the data on this showed only 9% grew revenues and profits. While the majority floundered, they had 85% floundering. And then there was a ton that unknowingly just got annihilated, right? You know, it just, they, they can even survive, let alone not being unprofitable, not only, you know, surviving in debt, but like just no survival. And there was a balance between proactive. There was a great example. I got a write-up on this somewhere. I was so enthralled. I should probably just cite the Harvard Business Review that did it. They were looking at different companies. And I think it was Staples that did this thing. There was Office Depot and Staples. So one said, let's just go hack people out. The other one was more of a, like a strategist and said, okay, we can reduce the talent. We can reduce the size of people. But let's methodically look at, instead of lowering employee headcount, because that's the biggest expense for all companies, stats. Instead, they said, let's find the store strategically that maybe aren't as profitable in the least growing economic conditions. Let's move some of those employees to this other store and let's add the top talent. Let's have compensation plans for the best type of talent we can have. And let's go find innovative ways to invest in our future while mitigating the risk of winter. So they were prep. It's kind of like me and my growing. They put, I got a six millimeter plastic over the top of my greens on one of the beds. They had no problem from last night's snow. One, I have a uh, a frost sheet, so the snow didn't lay on it. But where the plants were out exposed, the snow hit it and they all wilted over. So you know the six mil worked better than all of them. The frost blanket did good, but we know who did worst. So that's like the analogy is like, how if you're gonna grow during the winter, be smart enough and get a six mil cover. Demand yourself to recruit the best talent. And here's what they did. They ate their direct competitors lunch. The other one cut deeper, was more stingy, uh, trying to race to EBITDA, better EBITDA. And they ironically shot themselves in the foot. They didn't realize the one thing their competitor picked up on. During tough times, there's a land grab for market share. So when spring hits and things start growing, now that you own a larger percent of market share, the growth is compounding. It's exponential. And so they had a 100% rate of growth. It was insane. Uh, the rate of growth, it had you know doubled as compared to before and their competitors. So they were, I think, three times increase in uh, profit and growth the way they measured it. Threefold to compared to the competitor who said, I'm only reducing and, and letting Uncle Tommy go. Isn't that the, the case? Like we all have someone on the job site that was there because of nepotism, but maybe it's time to let them go in the middle of the winter economic season. But how can you also be proactive and say, how can I go out and get the best ideal clients? How can I make sure I'm keeping only my better staff? Like if you're going to have to let someone go, Tats, why not use that as a motivational force for people to wake up and say, I need to step up or I step out of this outfit versus yeah. being lazy, letting staff members get apathy and hide hoping to hang on to their job. No, you start cracking that whip by 
you know, we're letting some people go, but we empathetically go, but the people that are saying, I want to reward you handsomely, I want to double down with you and look at how can we reward them meeting and exceeding key performance indicators in the job site. This is fundamental management. Management's doing things right, but leadership is required during tough times, Tats, because that's doing the right things. Balance your leadership and management in winter economic seasons. You'll just eat your competitor's lunch every day of the week. Makes sense. Use the tough times to set up for the good times, right? You basically, how you handle the tough times basically defines you as a company. These next few years may be the most impactful of your business career. This may be more important to you. These next few years may dictate your future more than any others. It's not in what we see, like it's not in the sky, sky rise. Like um, my uncle had a construction company we're doing concrete and we're doing this museum. And all the time is building the foundation, taking the time to get the foundation right. And there's mistakes made along the way, like a crane fell into the hole. It, you know, the outriggers just fell away. It just dropped into a hole. So imagine this big crane tipped over. And my uncle's up there trying, you know, with a sledgehammer hitting a pin, just the worst move in the world. I mean, I can only speak about it now because OSHA's, you know, that I don't think they're, they're not going to go back 40 years and, you know, hang them for it. But like literally when the pin let loose, this machine uprighted that way, my uncle got thrown 30 feet. No exaggeration. It was just got they had death written all over. Massive mistakes were made. But the time to do it right, like you may make mistakes along the way, but we put in the work ethic to get the foundation right. When it builds springtime and the building grows up vertically and, and like overnight, everyone just watches a hole and hears noise, pylon just being driven nonstop. They just hear that forever. But then out of the middle of nowhere, like overnight, the building's just, right? The carpenters are just blown through it. So it's, think of it like that. Like it's, it's, it's really taking the time to do it, right? Yeah. It's, it's so going to set you up. Yeah, I mean, we, you talked we, about market conditions, but let's take that foundation analogy and apply it to revenue size because I think you've talked about this in some of your material. What's the foundation at one million? What's the foundation at let's say that roughly five million range and higher? Like, what what are the things that need to be in place for a business owner to be successful? You know, that's a really good. I did a whole thing on this, and I was like, "Will anyone want to read this?" It was. <laughs> Really, it was, I went through and I said, what are all the stages that you need at 1 million at, uh, like, so I'll tell you right out of the gate. So you start a really small company. They have jobs. What are the three jobs? First, to generate revenue because new startups always have a cash flow problem. Like I wanted to go start a, I wanted to retrofit light systems back in the day, like in the nineties, we had these rolling blackouts. And I left Purdue University so I can go become an entrepreneur. But to facilitate this job, I landed this gig. I need about 2 million bucks. I didn't have access to capital. So I just went and got a job for another company that had that and brought that to the table and they were able to facilitate it. So A, getting clients is a delta, but getting clients that are profitable is another thing, right? So how do we do it profitably? And then how do you do it in a scalable market? Like in 2004, I, I started niching out because they say riches and niches. So I niched out and serving chiropractors. 
And then what happened is after two years, I had 7,000 chiropractors. Yay, I learned how to get clients. Along the way through a partnership with this one guy, we even did it profitably. Yay. But then I went to the major conference in Las Vegas and you know what they shared? There are only 70,000 licensed chiropractors in the United States. I had 10% of the marketplace stats. I was done. Everyone else is cheering. I'm crying. I, I came home to my wife. I said, we're done. I go, our, our model is done. Two years and we're done. So we got to throw a wide net. Never again, no more. I said, none of this riches and niches crap. You know, that's just someone on a microphone on a stage said, and I believed it didn't mean it was true. So find a scalable market. Once you could do those three things, you can get somewhere. You know, along the way, they realize, okay, great. I need to recruit someone other than me to do everything. You know, so they need to learn that skill. Then they need to learn how to better manage. They need to, you know, how to have their business run more without them. And at some stages, they need systems. Geez, at some point, I don't know, like tech stack. You know, Simon Ruffing was at $50 million and they had salespeople calling on people at large square uh, roofs. And their biggest problem is they were always getting sent down to like a facilities manager. Well, you know, you can't have a marketing firm that's seeking out decision makers here and salespeople on the front lines using a, a CRM over here and it not all inner, it like it not tied together. And then you can't go to the website and they talk about product all the time. You go talk to a salesperson, they're painting a compelling future. They go to another department and they're saying something else. Now their message is not even unified. So sometimes on a tech stack, you bring homogeneous like you know communication together. You get the ability that a CEO can now better manage company because they have a dashboard and one-stop shop. So sometimes it's a tech stack for you to move towards an exit or take in some VC money. Or if you want, just want to have it passed down through a different generation like uh, Jim decided to do. Each stage, you're going to see one, two million based on if they're solo or if they have a second of command is a hiccup. Five million is a hiccup. 10, $11 million, you know, a hiccup in that zone, 25, $30 million, another hiccup, 50 hiccup, 100, 125 million hiccups, right? I need to get my, the correct C-suite, real C-suite executives, which means they have to probably flush out overpaid VPs that were legacy people and founders hate doing that because they were, they were my buddies from back in the day, but the people that got you here might not be the people that are going to get you there. So those are pretty standard. I can pretty much tell where people are at when they give me feedback on what their challenges are facing. I mean, after having 25,000 clients pay me to want to learn how to go through each of these stages, it's a little bit of a hump, right? You know, but you just got to, again, back to self-awareness. So few people are self-aware to say, here's where I'm at. I'm logically facing this challenge. I'm at, you know, $11.7 million. I do an employee you know, acknowledgement business. And he's like, but I take 50% of the time on my RV. That sounds great. But what he doesn't realize is how much of the company is based on him alone. He is the visionary. He, he may spend his time in an RV, but he still shows up every single week for a weekly mandatory meeting. He's still intimately involved. He probably thinks he can sell his company. He can't. Because anyone going to buy the company could see a mile away he is the reason this company is great and he's looking to retire. So why would I buy the great a company's assets to just have it become an expense when the greatest asset's going to retire? Not interested. So enough self-awareness to say where I'm at now and also 
what type of leader do I need to be to get my business closer to where I really desire it? That takes a self-aware human being, someone who's willing to look in the mirror and recognize their EBITDA, their profits, their growth as a reflection of their own personal skills. You as a business owner, a CEO, this company, I wish we were working on more roofs or whatever type of industry that you have. Well, that's a reflection of your skills. Mm. Someone's got to be willing to do that. And I don't know what's going on with society. Everyone's all trying to act, do this kumbaya thing, act like everything's better than it is. Everyone's softening everything. There's no value in softening that. Don't you have a coach or a mentor that can just shoot it to you straight? Like, do you have to be offended by the truth? Face the reality of your circumstance. Face it faster. You'll come out stronger or be in denial. That's right. Not everyone needs to become our client. <laughs> Most people fail. It, you know, 85 floundered according to them. So I'm looking for the 9%. I love to work with those that are saying, you know what? I don't want to become a number. I don't, I didn't work for 10 years of my life on this current iteration. And I've been in this industry for 30 years just to get chewed up and spit out because of a simple recession. I won't participate in recessions. Let's rise above it. Yeah. So I'm particularly interested in like, let's say not to the one, but let's say the five and up. So I'm assuming it's different for different people, but let's say for the type of clients that you've worked with over the years, what are the leadership self-awareness things that propel them through that, let's say five or up? Like what are, what are the things that you had to shoot straight at them and, and say, look, this is this about you or how you're doing this? Well, great question. First to get there, they need to be willing to ask the same question three times. So What's your single greatest challenge in getting your business closer to where you want it to be? So think of anyone you've ever interviewed, someone you've spoken to, a client, anyone. Just think of their circumstance and then answer that question for me. Don't worry, I won't drill you. I'm just going to use it as an example. So I ask, all right, what's your single greatest challenge? What are they What are they going to tell me? Let's say scaling the sales team or whatever. Okay, great. So scaling the sales team. So they say scaling, they don't even know what scaling means. They probably mean grow because they want more. And the reason they think they want more is they want more revenue. And they see salespeople as the reason they were going to get more revenue. So they're living in a smoke of mirrors of I've done it this way and I just want more. Well, that's called more, more itis. Itis is inflammation. That's a disease commonly. So your body, when it inflames, like my daughter, she's not at school today. She's at home because she dislocated her knee it gets inflamed and I'm telling her, you've got to move. She's like, she doesn't want to move. I go, well, wear the brace, don't move and watch it swell because your body is designed to let it move through you. We need to get that acid moving. So you need to have some motions that you're safe to move through or physically get massaged because your adrenals are all shot and you need to uh, let that flow. So either exercise or physical massage. So same thing in business. So at, if they're saying, okay, I need to scale my sales team. I go, okay, what's your biggest challenge you have in scaling your sales team? And they're going to be like, well, I got, you know, I got, you know, six salespeople. Okay. How many of those six sales people are stars? Well, I got, you know, well, you know, one, two. Okay. Are you the best salesperson? Well, I am. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. And, but I got one that's really promising. He's doing really well. He's making good money. Okay. So you got six salespeople. That means five that aren't top producers. Yeah. I got two others are pretty good. Okay. Then that means you got, you know, two others that, you know, three others. Yeah. I got three others. Then why are, why are they on board? Like, are you pipping them performance improvement plan? Are you inviting them to step up or step out? 
So maybe you need to cleanse your environment before you add more salespeople. Maybe you need to stop taking the leads you have and dispersing them half of your leads to half of your weakest salespeople. Maybe you need to be pipping out your weakest reps while you're trying to recruit a better quality rep by raising your freaking standards as trite as that sounds. So that's a management issue. That's you're, you're allowing apathy, meaning you don't have a strong culture. You don't have good management. And so you thought it's a salesperson problem. It's a you problem. And so if you add more to that, you add more chaos, you add more expense, you add twice the people that aren't producing. Now you went from three to six underperforming staff members in the midst of a recession. How can you carry that burden on your back? Who's paying for that? That comes out of their own personal pockets. Yeah. As a founder at 5 million, you're paying for all that out of your retirement. That didn't come out of thin air. Yeah. So possible points are like better recruitment, better training, you know, sort of higher standards. Themselves start with them at that small of a company. Yeah. You know, you don't have, you can't even point a finger at anyone. You're so close to it. You need to improve your skills the way you better manage. Like, and then you're right. The skills are better recruitment. You nailed it. Performance improvement plans, making sure you pip them. Do you have a way to where it's, or is it doom and gloom on pip? Like a lot of people, if they see a pip coming across their table, they think they're getting let go. Well, that shows your culture. You don't love on your staff members. Like if someone's struggling, you should take it personal and say, I dropped the ball on you. If you're not performing above or minimal acceptance level, I failed you somewhere. You should lean in to look at what kind of training they need and provide that training as a leader. And you say, okay, I lean in. So that's all a reflection of you. At, at five to 10 million, you want to look at everything through first as a mirror before you go. So you're saying personal growth, see the window out to your business. First, check it up as a mirror, level up yourself, then go through you to your team. Nice. Nice. But once you're at like 30 million, it's because of your presence. What you're doing is now you are the person who's uh, working through the ecology of your team to keep it healthy and strong so the best can rise up. You're doing nothing but anchoring down culture, 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 vision, 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 culture, vision, culture, vision. That's the CEO's job from like that $30 million up. You know, they're going to be talking about that for quite some time. Yeah, but you would have to know where you're at on that. So five million, it's it's all about the founder and that CEO. It's all a direct reflection of their skills. They're the reason for all things, good and bad. Perfect. In terms of partnerships, you've partnered with many different groups for whatever. Um, how do you approach that? I mean, you know, because um, you've worked with some very successful people in different ways. So is it is there a formula? Yeah, the formula is give, 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 give and not expect anything in return, but no one wants to hear that. Everyone wants to know about like the trick that was pulled. And I can tell you some really cool tricks that were pulled, but it's all on a foundation of giving. I'll give you an example. I'm going to tip my hat to Chet Holmes. I went off, I used his strategies. He called me because one of my previous business partners worked for him as a sales guy. And he asked him one day, he goes, who's the best salesperson you ever, you've ever met in your life? He goes, Ted Miller. He goes, okay, can I get his number? I want to call him and recruit him. So this guy I just hired as, you know, that I didn't even hire, I hired Jay Abraham that I met through that, who helped me two years later, I get a random phone call. Like the other guy, Mike texted me and said, Hey, this guy's going to call you. He wants to recruit you and he has a unique process. So just trust me on this. Call me when it's done. So anyhow, I got on the phone, we did this. And in that first conversation, he goes, we're going to partner with Tony Robbins. 
And I was like, the personal growth guy, like, why would we do that? He's like, oh, you don't understand. And he's, and he's got this vision. And I was like, okay, great. So he had already been chasing him for years. So we're like forward four more years later, and we're still trying to like win this guy over. And he's struggling to fill his events because he was trying to do these things called TNTs, Tony not there. He was busy being on the road all the time. Sage, his wife is frustrated. He's never present. And he's just trying to find a better quality of life. So he's trying to do these TNTs. So we saw one of his biggest challenges was getting clients. So we said, let's lean in and help him. Like, that's what you do. If you're trying to nurture any kind of relationship, you want to be the contributor, right? If you can. So we helped him write better ads. His ads are like, hi, do you like to, you know, break through and come to UPW on a radio ad? It was in uh, Florida market. He now lives there, but back then he, he was somewhere else. So I'm like, all right, how many ads are running? We're running four ads. He goes, give us one of the four. And our one outproduced the other combined because of educational-based marketing. Instead of saying, hey, if you'd like to look better, feel better, live longer, come walk on fire, you be, you know, get people pumped up. Instead, it was all neofrontal cortex. We got them to think. And we said, after, hi, this is Tony Robbins. After working with three to five million people around the world or something like that, you know, I learned there are six fundamental human needs. You know, call us to learn what these six fundamental human needs are. No matter what race, religion, dogma you come from, these are six drivers that dictate human behavior. Find out what these are now. Call us at. And that one ad out pulled the other three combined. That got his attention fast. We solved one of the biggest problems that all of his staff members couldn't solve. All of his great marketing staff members, and they had top talent, weren't solving. And we came along like rock stars and like, poof. That accelerates relationships. And that was four, five, oh, four, oh, five. We signed the contract in 08. Like it doesn't go fast. Like people expect these things to happen overnight. So it was oh, eight, we signed the contract that Chet had spent 12 years of his life, a solid decade of pursuing. In the last two, we pretty much knew we were going to partner. It was just a matter of working stuff stuff out. Things move slower than people think when you're looking at real strategic partners. Everything short of it's a JV. So uh, contribute, 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 contribute. Find a way to add value to people's lives. Solve the greatest challenges that they have as if they were your own problems. And then you'll naturally find a way to get in the partnership. And we did. And it was great. We pioneered a thing called Business Mastery. People can go to it five days long, 10 grand. What a hoot. Tony would bring in billionaires we didn't have access to. He'd bring in like really famous people and rappers, you know, musicians. It was a fun time. Pitbull loved it. He was at every show. <laughs> so yeah, you could, uh, you know, partnerships. I think people are too busy watching like some of our past clients act like it's easy. Like Russell Brunson, God bless his soul. Like he went from zero to hundred million in four years. So everyone thinks they do that in four years. They don't see the grind he put in. He wasn't there. I was training him. You know, no one else was when he was trying to figure out what's he going to be when he grows up kind of deal. You know, so now he tells everyone, hey, the, you know, people have changed our life. Dream 100 changed everything. And then they come secret shop us and they all think that kind of partnership takes over. No, like. He slowly but surely got into our circle. He went to our speakers, authors, networking group. Slowly but surely got, gets to meet these people. And now he's got this thing called mastermind.com. But I can tell you the time that he first met that person. And it was five years later until he spent enough money to pay Tony to go speak at his event. You know, 
it took, that was a 10 year journey just for him to get to mastermind.com. But everyone on the internet's acting like it's taken overnight. So Tats, no one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear, but I will tell you some of the greatest things like Simon Ruffing is an example. Once they crack their code to get better clients than all clients, the best thing they can do is go JV. And so the way they did it is instead of waiting, like one of the moves you can use is you could just buy the company. Right now is a great time to buy your competitors out. Like they're doing roughing, roughing, roughing. Well, guess what? You need asphalt, you need concrete, you need, you know, so they would, you could just go out and buy these other competitors that are struggling because you cracked your marketing code and you got momentum in this one area. It's in your best interest to pick them up on the song. You might just pick up the materials or the staff that you need that you can't seem to find anywhere else just by buying out the company because someone's like, I'm aged out. I don't want to go through another recession. That takes me about seven years on average to recover from it. So I don't have another seven years. I just want to retire. And they sell out. Just go buy the piece of that company that you need on a song. So if you want strategic partnerships, long play. But if what you really want is something that they have, just buy them, Tats. Just buy them when it's cheap. And that's right now. If you're trying to sell, wrong time, brother. You waited too late. More often than not, right now is not the best time you could be selling. That makes sense? Absolutely. Partnerships don't come easy, Tats. Partnerships don't come easy. Ted, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share? Like, I love the stories. We all do this because we want freedom. We somewhere along the line started out because we wanted freedom, right? You know, my family, we were, we were in ghettos. It was, we were broke and we just didn't want to be broke. So we did construction because, you know, my uncle tried driving trucks and that didn't work. He went broke doing that, lost his house. Then rebuilt, started doing another thing. And then, okay, crack the code here. And the irony along the way is we say we're starting our business for freedom. And then 10, 20, 30 years later, we feel like we're strapped to our job. And we're not strapped. You're not a victim. God or whatever you believe in that's greater than you is giving you this adversity as a sign saying something can change for you to get back on path to the thing that you say you want, which is autonomy, freedom. Go embrace the suck on that. Go lean into the pain on the backside, of the pain of fixing your systems, the pain of building a better culture. Embrace the suck. And on the backside, you'll say it's the best darn thing you've ever done. Think of anything you're proud of right now, Tats. It probably didn't come to you easily. This moment right now that's tough may be the best moment you've ever had and may finally get you the thing you've been chasing for such a long time, true autonomy. I hope people can take that to their hearts because that's, I'd say, majority of uh, founders. It's like 70% every time we ask them at our seminars, we got thousands of people, why did they do it? And once we get around the freedom, hands jump up real fast. So it's plausible. It's there. Yeah, you can have your cake and eat it too. You, know, you just might need to let go of some limiting beliefs and improve a lot of skills. Sounds good. Sounds like, yeah, personal development and being intentional. No, oh, yeah, intentional. Be in, intention is key because that's before you be, do, then have. Everyone else is trying to go through the road of pain. I need to go have the skills. I need to go have the assets. Then I can go do what you know I need to do, and someday I'll become that. No, you be it first, then you do it, and let go, let God on the half. That's yep. just something that you know will take care of itself. On the front end of that is your intention. So intention, be, do, have. 
path to those are fulfilled. Wonderful. Ted, thank you so much for sharing your wealth of information. Appreciate you, Tats. Thank you for listening to the Specify Growth Podcast today. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Tats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.